You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are beginning with a new series called Nearness. In this series, we are going to look into the book of Isaiah. Let me just begin with a statement. And after which, we're going to go into Isaiah chapter 40 here today. Here it is. Our corporate sins and personal sins. So both corporate and personal are sins rather as individuals have brought and will bring us tragic and catastrophic consequences. Alright, so let me just say that again because that statement would be necessary for us to understand Isaiah chapter 40. Our corporate sins together with our individual sins have brought and will bring tragic consequences into our lives. Alright, so it is not just the failure of a few people perhaps in power, but rather it is our individual and corporate failure to walk in the will of God as individuals, even as a church and as nation or as group of nations. This is a biblical reality, a biblical principle that we see all over the pages of your Bible. It's a biblical reality that we see over and over again in the pages of the Bible. Perhaps it's safe for us to say it this way. When sin is full-blown, it will destroy a nation. Right? This is applicable even to our current generation, to the nation that we dearly love, our very own nation, and the nations of the world. Going to Israel now, so I don't want us to think that this is only applicable perhaps to the Gentile world because it is not just applicable to the Gentile world because some people would say, ah, the God of the Old Testament is an angry God. He approves of genocide and all of these things. Well, first things first, I'd like for us to understand that as much as this is applicable to the nations surrounding Israel, rather, this principle also applies to the very nation that God has chosen, which is the nation of Israel. And to make a point that it was applicable to them then, I'd like first to use two words, and the words are squandered and prostituted. So in a sense, two sins that Israel has committed against God. First, they have squandered their privileges. They have squandered their blessings. Secondly, they have prostituted themselves to the very enemies of God in the form of idolatry. We understand, as a result of those two things, the nation of Israel was brought low. That's why I was saying a while ago, when sin is full-blown, it will indeed destroy a nation. So in essence, it's safe for us to say that their very sins destroyed their nation. So why are we talking about that? That provides a background for us as we look into this series. We are in Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, the book of Isaiah is divided into these two parts. It's like two continents, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 39, and the rest will be the second part of the book of Isaiah, beginning with chapter 40. Here's where we find the bad news. Chapters 1 to chapter 39 is filled with bad news. But I am not saying that just because it's filled with bad news that we won't see the grace and the mercy of God. Alright? But nonetheless, let me just go there for a while. So let me talk about bad news first. Because I think this is relevant to all of us here. Who among you are tired of seeing bad news everywhere? It's safe for me to say that all of us are tired of seeing bad news. Right? So Guru, case in point would be this empty room. On a given Sunday, 
This main hall of the Spanish heritage, Victory Duma, is filled with people, noisy people, people fellowshipping with each other. But right now, there's six of us here today. This in itself is a picture of a bad news. This is a result of a bigger bad news okay, that has been happening since last year. To put this in the right perspective, I want to ask this question. Do we know what the baddest news is? COVID is bad news, death, sicknesses, losing job, not having enough money to buy a laptop for online class is bad news. Depression is a bad news. But do we really know what the baddest news is? And here it is. The baddest news is you. Ikaw, ako, we are the baddest news in this world. This puts things in the right perspective. Why do I say that? Yung greed natin, selfishness, lust, yung hindi tayo marunong mag-sorry, hindi tayo marunong mag-forgive, hindi tayo generous, hindi tayo kind, we don't walk in the will of God. Now look at this one. Corporately, collectively, that's the baddest news in the world. Isn't it? Right? So that's the baddest news in the world. I have to make that very clear as early as now because the bad news in ourselves will make the good news pleasant to the ears. It's only when we come into a realization of how bad we are, how evil we are, that's the only time that we will find something, like I say at chapter 40, a good news. That said, what would a good news sound like? This is where we find ourselves today. Isaiah chapter 40 will begin with verse 1. We'll just cover until verse 5, but I'll read all through verse 11. This is the good news. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, it says. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and rough places in plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So this is a picture 
of a good news. So allow me to just talk about this for a while. I'd like first to understand this. There's a certain manner for us to understand Isaiah chapter 40. I'd like first to know that, of course, this is a prophetic word coming from the prophet Isaiah, so we understand. Let's try to look into a ballpark uh, biblical chronology that begins with Abraham. We understand that God instituted a covenant with Abraham, all right? He told Abraham there's going to be a great nation. And, of course, you know, this covenant, as we understand, was the very reason that God saved Moses together with the Israelites and brought them out of the land of slavery in Egypt. It's because of the covenant that God had with Abraham. And then, of course, you know, the story, some Bible characters came in, David together with his son Solomon, and the king at that time was King Saul. And perhaps 1500 BC was the Exodus. And in 930 BC, more than a century after that, we understand that after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. You have those two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And here, from 810 BC up until like 750 BC, a couple of generations, the two kingdoms, both Israel and Judah, enjoyed. They both enjoyed relative peace and prosperity during this time. So peace, prosperity, and let me just use this word. It was a comfortable time to live in. And incidentally, this is where the prophets Amos and Hosea ministered. During this time, Amos and Hosea ministered to the two kingdoms. And part of their ministry was a rebuke. For what? A rebuke for their complacency. You know, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, isn't it? But too much comfort sometimes makes the comfort or the object of comfort the idol. Too much complacency, it wasn't good anymore. And I'd like first to know that this was also the time, at the end of this period, this was the time that Isaiah came in and ministered. That this is where Isaiah chapter 6 comes in. In verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up. It gives us a picture that the commission of Isaiah came in right after the death of the year King Uzziah. That would be around 700 B.C. Or 750 BC. Now, as Isaiah began his ministry, there was one superpower. Now, I am sharing all of these things because these things serve as a backdrop for Isaiah chapter 40. There is absolutely no way for us to understand Isaiah chapter 40 if we don't understand these things. So, going back, when Isaiah started ministering, there was a superpower at that time, and that was the, not just a nation, but the empire of Assyria. You would say that the present-day Syria and portions of the nation of Iraq forms what we call the Assyria then. So they were the world's superpower at that time. And they were quickly gaining more power as they reached more nation in brute force. So Assyria then was like an avalanche. As they move further, they become bigger. It's not applicable to our mudslides here. So they're becoming bigger. In fact, here's a picture for the empire of Assyria. They were moving across and they were sweeping down south. Catch it? So if you look at this in a geographic perspective, we understand that Iraq and Assyria are somewhere here and they're moving across and guess what? They will indeed touch down on the nation of Judah. 
they will touch the nation of Israel. Eventually, we understand that they are going to conquer this place. So Judah saw these things coming. So they realized, I don't know how news went during the time, but you know, Judah saw this coming, so the king needed to make a decision. You know, this is actually a story of politics in a sense. The king then was King Ahaz. He needed to make a foreign policy. And the foreign policy, the choice is only between the two. First, are we going to be pro-Assyrian or we're going to be anti-Assyrian? Deep inside every Jewish person at that time, they know for a fact that they have to be anti-Assyrian. You know why? Because anyone who goes against God and His Word is an enemy of Israel. Is an enemy of the people of God. So deep within them, they know that they cannot be pro-Assyrian. So that was the dilemma that they were in. You know, King Jotham followed King Uzziah, and Jotham was followed by Ahaz right now. But here's the thing. Ahaz was an evil king. What happened was, as we understand, the King Ahaz decided to cast lots with Assyria. In essence, here's what happened. To save himself and the kingdom, he compromised. But there is an underlying reason for that. Because there was already growing animosity between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Part of it, part of the reason why they have to make an alliance with Assyria is for them to be protected from the northern kingdom of Israel. So in a sense, it was something like that. Right? So now, Judah's way out of this impending doom was to compromise, was to make an alliance. Now, here's the problem. This was not the only time. Other times, they would look at Egypt. Other times, they would look at the emperor of Assyria for support and defense. There's a problem here because they feel like, as a nation, they're going to be secured, they're going to be provided, they're going to be protected only if they will side themselves with the very enemies of God. Only if they will compromise. Let me share with you a story. Last year, many of our church members lost their jobs. And I was just talking with someone last or two weeks ago, and the person was talking to me about him losing his job. And on the first few months, it was, of course, fine. You know, you have your savings to sustain yourself, to sustain the family. But eventually, you will run dry. The pandemic has been going on for a year and eight months now. So, of course, you know, you'll really use up your savings. So, eventually, an offer was given to the person. But the problem is the offer was an illegal one. By doing so, if he enters into a deal with this group of people, he will earn lots and lots of money quickly. But in the process, he will dishonor God. He will get what he needs at that time. But he will compromise his integrity and conviction. Much more, he will dishonor God in the process. Cut the long story short, he didn't get into that deal. And eventually, the Lord has opened a door for the person. This is what we have here. King Ahaz was brought into a compromise. So perhaps the question for us is this, what is our first instinct when we encounter problems? What's our first instinct? Now, who among you would say, and I pray that you would be so honest with this thought, that sometimes 
Our first instinct is not to trust God, isn't it? Right? Our first instinct is our buffer fans. Our first instinct is Dodd. Our first instinct is our brother. Our first instinct is a lending company, perhaps. Our first instinct is connection. And these things happen to all of us. If that is our first instinct, a conscious decision would come in. So right after that being your first instinct, are we making the conscious decision of making a choice that, yes, this is my first instinct, but I will choose to make a conscious decision of making this my last resort or not the resort that I'm going to get into, but making God my first and only resort. That I will learn to trust God. Hezekiah became the king of Judah when King Ahaz died. So, you know what? Ahaz brought upon the kingdom of Judah and Assyria was sweeping down through Israel. And what happened here was that we understand that, you know, there's something that Hezekiah did. He did not get into an alliance with the emperor of Assyria. In fact, in 701 BC, you know, people would say that something happened here. At that time, the empire of Assyria was led by Sennacherib. In fact, you guys love history. There is an archaeological monument called Sennacherib's Prism, wherein it's indicated there the different nations that they have conquered. So they have written it there. Sennacherib himself, together with his people, okay, they have written in the Sennacherib's Prism the picture of their conquerors. In fact, in that prism, he actually wrote that when they went to Judah, King Hezekiah, accordingly, was like a bird in a cage. But guess what? There was no mention that he conquered Judah. You know why? Because he never did. There was even a time that 185,000 Assyrians died overnight. You know that. Why? Because of what? Look at this one. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 21. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This provides a backdrop for Isaiah chapter 40. That when threat is at our doorstep, let me just put it this way. Our confidence should rest on the character of God. It has to rest on the character of God. Let me just further talk about that. Say, for instance, let's talk about our building project. We are now eight months in to our building project. And guess what? Our resources have already depleted. We are not running dry. We are dried up. Isn't it? But what perspective do we have right now concerning our building project? Are we going to sulk in? Are we going to panic? Or are we going to choose to trust God because we understand that it is now the time for miracles? Isn't it? For sicknesses, for illnesses. So the question now is, are we going to trust God in this difficult time? We're not just talking about our very needs, even the things that we want even. Come to think of this. Let's talk about an aspect, perhaps provision. Sometimes we're praying for a provision, pero wala pang increased provision. So what happens? Pag walang increased provision, anong meron? Merong increased dependence. Right? God will answer it in either of these two things. If you have an increased dependence of God, He will get through. So in essence, this is what we have here. That's why the Bible teaches us, do not put your trust in chariots or horses. What are your chariots or horses? Your investments? 
physical attributes, but it teaches us to trust in the name of our Lord. Trust in the name of God. Let me read for everyone. Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 to 8. Look at this. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house. Oh my goodness, look at this. The day is coming accordingly, to be more specific, 100 years from now, that when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. I thought we're talking about Assyria. Now we're talking about Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons, your own sons, who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuch in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. So what do we have here? Isaiah comes in now. Now he goes beyond the contemporary situation. What was the current problem? Assyria. Right? What is the current problem? The empire of Assyria. Has God dealt with this? Of course. Now, Isaiah comes in and tells him, All right, let's look beyond your years. Let's look beyond your generation. That's why Isaiah now was talking prophetically. He's looking into the future. He was telling King Hezekiah, In the future, in fact, 100 years from now, Assyria won't be a superpower anymore, but a new nation will rise. And it is what? The empire of the Babylonians. The Babylonians will rise in the future and they will become superpower. And look at this. Isaiah chapter 13 and gives us a picture of what's going to happen. God tells them through Isaiah that they will be brought into exile. They will be uprooted from their land and they will be brought into exile accordingly. In fact, to be more specific, they will be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. So this is the transition. That's Isaiah chapter 13 and, and now... We are in Isaiah chapter 40. Catch it? So in Isaiah chapter 39, God tells them through Isaiah, in the future, this is going to happen. You're going to weep. You're going to cry. When I was in high school, I saw a documentary of North Koreans and South Koreans being separated from each other. I mean, family members, South Korean being brought in a train and brought to the South. And guess what? They will be placed apart for the rest of their lives. We'll never see each other ever again. This is how painful Isaiah chapter 39 is. And what's the reason for that? What's the reason that they're going to be in exile in a foreign land? Diba? Lisod na ganit mag-move from Dumaguete to Cebu. Maskin bisaya agyapon sila. Wala kay kaila dito. Difficult not to be a tourist. Even if you're enjoying being a tourist. How much more if you are an exile? A captive for that matter. And this is what we have here. Remember what I said a while ago? Our personal sins and our corporate sins will bring destruction to our nation. This exile is a result of the sin of the nation of Israel. What were their sins? They have squandered. They have prostituted themselves. That's the result of their sins. Now, it brings us to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. <laughs> like first to understand this. Isaiah chapter 40, para siyang baon. Hezekiah, this is our situation. In the future, 100 years from now, maskin ikaw, Hezekiah, patay na ka. Money ang baon nila. Give this to them because these are my words for them. Now, they were in exile. What's the first word that God tells them? Comfort. Did God say, Da, tagam. Did God say, Buti nga sa inyo. See, gotcha. Did God say those things? No. 
listen, I'd like for us to see the character and the heart of God for His people. God tells them comfort not once but twice. You know the implication of this. When something is repeated, it is very important. I remember, we see these words like Absalom, Absalom, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When something is repeated twice, it is very important. I want you to understand this. Let me just segue a little bit. Do you realize that there's only one word that's repeated thrice in the Bible? It's holy, holy, holy. Now going back to this, it gives us a picture that this is quite important. God tells him, here's my message for you. Comfort, comfort. That's the message that he wants them to hear. That when they are in exile, when you are suffering, when you are in turmoil, these are the words that God wants for you to embrace. Here's my question to make this further relatable to us. Here's my question. Where do you find comfort? I think to make myself comfortable, I want to spend the day watching cha-cha-cha. Right? You want to do that. I want to just be with my buddies. I want to be with Appahoopa, you know? Or you want to be on Spotify. These things bring us comfort. Or for some of us, OBT. We drive around. For some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's swimming in Darwin. It could be a meal. It could be any of these things. There are so many things out there that will make us feel comfortable. Kaya nga meron tayong tinatawag na comfort food. Kaya nga meron tayong tinatawag na stress eating. Right? Because we want to feel comfortable. What's the comfort that Isaiah predicted? And here's where it becomes interesting. What's the comfort that Isaiah predicted here? This kind of comfort is far better, deeper, and richer than all of our comforts combined. It's found in verse 2. First part of verse 2, it says here, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, look at this one, that her warfare is ended. Right? That her warfare is ended. Warfare here can simply mean hardship. Warfare here can simply mean difficulty. It can simply mean ordeal. Have you folks visited the museum, the war museum in Valencia? It's a house. The person has collected so many war memorabilia. I have never really talked to a person who was a soldier in World War II. But can you just imagine what these people have gone through? I grew up in Zamboanga, but I've been in Dumaguete for close to 20 years now. Last year, when I went to Zamboanga, there were choppers all over, and it's a normal thing. But I feel anxious already every time I hear those choppers flying so low. But then, when I was in high school, it was totally normal. But being in the city of gentle people, when I went there, it brings me anxiety. Look at this one. War does not bring stability. When there's no stability, there is anxiety, isn't it? When things are not stable, we become anxious. So God tells them now, comfort, comfort my people, for the warfare is over. He's telling them it is over for that matter. But the interesting thing here is that this is like God telling the exiles, hey, you're in Babylon for close to seven decades now. We're going home. We're going home, anak. That's the picture that we have here. Imagine this. You miss your hometown. You miss the food in your hometown. 
You have no idea what happened to your neighbor. You have no idea what happened to this person, to that person. And you've been here 70 years. You've been suffering. And God tells you, it's over. War is over. We're coming home. We're coming home. We're coming home. This is what we have here. This is the picture that God was telling them. Not just that. Look at this one. The second part of verse 2 says, Her iniquity is pardoned. Why were they in exile? Because of their sins. They were not in exile because they simply had a bad day. It was because of their sins. Like what I said a while ago, our corporate and individual sins will bring as tragic consequences. And this is one of the consequences that we have. Now, allow me to just relate this to an important story as well. It was something like this. In the Garden of Eden, things were extremely good. They sinned against God. What happened to them? They were banished from the Garden. In short, they were exiled from the Garden. And God gave them a provision back. I'm going to give you what? A promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And the moment they got into it, they sinned against God as well. And they were banished from it. Like what I said, it's a principle that's in operation for the nation of Israel. So what's the good news? The good news is, verse 2, her iniquity is pardoned. Meaning to say, God was simply telling them, I have forgiven you. Look how this message was delivered. It says here, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now, you folks who keep saying that, the God of the Bible is an angry God. The God of the Old Testament is an angry God. Some people would say that you're not reading your Bible. What has destroyed nations and people are their sins. Look at this one. Here comes God telling them, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So it's kind of like this. Some of you parents, when you reprimand, when you correct your kids, and they would go into their rooms, and the picture is this. You go to them. You put them on your lap and you speak tenderly to them. You simply tell them, I've already forgiven you, anak. And that is the picture that we have here. So it's like God was telling them, and guess what? Telling us, because this is a prophetic word, and it's like a concentric circus that also includes us. So it's like God telling us, my son and my daughter, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Why? Because I've already forgiven you. It's time to have a good meal. That's the picture that we have here. Interestingly, Go to verse 1 again. Look at this one. He speaks to Jerusalem in a covenant language. I love that. Why? Because he says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Interesting, isn't it? He tells you, you're my people, I am your God. Why was this possible? In what sense did God forgive them? Look at this one. It says here, Because she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What are we talking about here? What does it mean? I have sinned. I have received double for all of my sins. Where is that principle? Look at this. It's actually a principle that we find in God's Word. Look at this. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. A thief will always have to pay double. If he is going to make a restitution, he's going to pay in double. What is the point here? I'd like for us to understand this. When Israel sinned against God, it was a judicial consequence for a covenantal disobedience. There was a consequence because they were in a covenant with God. So what is the good news? The good news is it's been paid for. 
It's been paid for. That is the good news. It's over. It's been paid for. This goes for all of us as well. I mean, we actually benefit from this. Why? Because like what I said, this is a prophetic word. And we would see that this affects every single one of us. This is where we understand that there is a need for a substitute to come in. Because we cannot and can never pay in full. How can we pay double for our sins? We can. If we talk about eternal life here, if we talk about the salvation of our souls, what's the point here? As you read this, as you read Isaiah chapter 40, when it says here, her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. Here's what makes it interesting. Right after that, it says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So it gives us a picture that, wait a second, hindi lang to about Assyria, hindi lang to about Babylon, but this is talking about something else. It goes far beyond politics. It goes far beyond nations and empires. The promise here is not only for the exiles in Babylon, but it's meant to be understood as a promise that is yet to come. They were looking forward not just to the deliverance from Babylon, but for someone to deliver them from sin altogether. Because we won't stop sinning. So someone has to deliver us from sin. Going back to the question a while ago, what is our comfort? What is our comfort in this life? True enough, there are so many things that can provide us comfort. I like how Heidelberg Catechism puts it, what's your only comfort in life and death? What's our only comfort in this life and even in death? You know what's our only comfort? Our only comfort is this, that you are not your own. That you are not your own, but you belong body and soul, both in life and death, to our faithful Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the comfort that we have. That's the ultimate comfort that we have. Why? Because He was the one who was fully paid for all of our sins with His precious blood. And He has set us free from the power of the evil one. That's why, if you read Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, we call that the gospel. Isaiah chapter 40 is a gospel message as well. Isaiah chapter 40 is the gospel, at least for Isaiah's day. Now look at this. It says here, there was a proclamation, right? Comfort, comfort. If you look at this, it demands a response. In light of this good news, because war is over, right? So I love this because it doesn't say, you do this first, then war is over. Right? It's not like that. It's not like, oh, unsaman, tarong namo? Kung tarong namo, humanang gera. It wasn't like that. But it's the other way around. It's like this. Humanang gera, I have finished the war, pwede na tamo tarong. That's why this is good news. The good news is, the war is over. The ordeal is over. So, what is our response? Actually, ito ang repentance. Kasi minsan, we think repentance is like this. I have to repent. I have to repent. I'll turn from this and turn to God. Right? Well, actually, that's the fruit of repentance. But that is still doing. Repentance is when we understand how glorious, how magnificent, how great, how merciful, how loving God's mercy is for us. And in turn, we turn away from all of these things. So it says here, I have pardoned you already. Past, present, future sins. Isn't this a good news? What's the response? 
Friends, Victory Dumaguete, your response to this good news is this. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Wow! You've been forgiven. You've been given a clean slate. What do you do now? Prepare the way of the Lord. What was Isaiah saying? Isaiah was simply saying, Someone's coming. Someone's coming. There's someone who's coming. I want you to make a royal highway for him. In fact, you find it here. Look at this one, verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be brought low. The uneven ground shall become level. That's what we have here. Make way for him. Turn off all the stoplights. Don't give a red traffic light for him. Why? Because someone is coming. Someone is coming. What does it mean that we prepare the way for him? What does it mean that we have to prepare the way for someone who's coming? It's found in Isaiah chapter 57. Look at this one. Isaiah chapter 57 says, in verses 14 to 15, look at this one. And it shall be said, look at this, build up, build up, prepare the way to remove every obstruction from my people's way. Look at this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, it says. I will dwell in the high and holy places. And this is what's interesting. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. You know what it means? How do we prepare the way for this king who's coming? Here's how we prepare the way. Brokenness and contrite heart. In short, repentance should be the response. So look at this. I hope you fully embrace this. So it's like this. War is over. You've been forgiven. The initial response is what? Yay! But it's not just that. The initial response is, I repent. Because this is how great and good you are over my life. You folks realize where this is going. Because centuries after this, there was a man by the name of John. He was prophesying. In Luke chapter 3, he said the same thing. He actually quoted this. He quoted Isaiah chapter 40, says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. He says, Prepare the way of the Lord. He said, Therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Then it says, the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered to them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him was none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also come to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers, oppressive Roman soldiers also ask him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. The preparation is repentance. That one, when John was saying that, that was the fruit of repentance, and that is restitution. When you're fully repentant of your sin, you have healthy relationships around you. Isn't it ironic? Is this just a coincidence? That John the Baptist would come out of nowhere centuries later, and he says, prepare the way of the Lord? Or don't you think that this is pointing basically 
to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. As we understand, it is. How do we prepare for His coming? It doesn't say that you have to look impressive. How do I prepare myself for the coming of God? I have to look impressive. No. In fact, all you have to do is just be broken with your sins. I don't know with you, but if I look at this, I realize that if you have been crashed down, emotionally, physically, mentally perhaps, I feel like that's the best disposition that we have to be in for us to receive and embrace the grace of God. As I look into this, I realize that yes, this is about repentance, but I don't know, we all have come to Christ in different ways. Some of us, it was a dramatic moment of conversion. For some of us, it was simply like an intellectual one. For some of us, it was like an ordinary day. Someone preached the gospel to you. Some of you cried, some of you didn't cry. But at the end of the day, there's one thing that is constant for all of us. If what happened to you is a real conversion, here's what happens. You are deeply and truly sorry for your sins. You are deeply and truly sorry for your sins and you turn to Christ for forgiveness. I think that's a mark of a true conversion. It's one thing to just be sorry that we got caught. Weeping is not in itself just the only evidence of conversion. Because we could simply be weeping over the consequence of our sins. Right? But we aren't weeping that we have offended the Holy God. So a mark of a true conversion, basically for us, is when we are truly sorry for our sins. So as we look at this, it says here in verses 3 down to verse 5, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. Look at this one. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it all together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we understand this is actually a picture of the gospel. But at the end of the day, this is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one who has died for all of our sins. Who was crucified. Who was resurrected. It has given us our salvation. And Isaiah chapter 40 tells us or demands a response from us. The demand from that comfort, comfort that God is giving us are these two things. Penitence and repentance. Penitence simply means brokenness. As an application for all of us, I hope and pray that we will all get to have a time with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and look into areas in our life that we need to repent from or turn away from. And for those of you who are worshiping with us and you are not a Christian yet, I hope and pray that this message is clear to you that there is a coming, conquering, and comforting King who's more than willing to save your soul. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.